All right. So, Father, we thank you today for your word. Lord, we're a people that believe it wholeheartedly from Genesis to Revelation. And, uh, Father, we know that there is not one flaw in your word, but, God, it is life and it's life to us. And so, Father, even as um, your word says that it's sharpening a two-edged sword, God, God, that still has the ability to divide between soul and spirit, we just welcome that word to come and to speak to our hearts today. Father, we thank you that you said that man couldn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. And so, Father, today as you open your mouth and speak, Lord, we open up our heart to receive. And, Father, we just thank you, God, that as we hear your word, God, that we'll mix it with faith. God, that we'll believe it and uh, just take it for face value. And, uh, Lord, we just thank you for helping us to live lives that bring you glory and bring you honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. amen. Well, listen, uh, last week... Uh, we started a new series simply entitled this, entitled The Behavior of Royalty, The Behavior of Royalty. So today we're going to go in part two of that. And uh, the basis of this series is simply founded in this truth, that the moment that you and I received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, uh, at that moment we became the royal sons and daughters of the eternal King. If you know that's true, say Amen. See, this is why the Bible tells us that we are kings and priests. It says that we are a royal priesthood. It says that we are co-heirs or joint heirs with Christ. You know, all three of those areas really speak to our identity as royal children of God. So let me kind of give you a thought here really fast um, to kind of get where we're going. But I, I believe that every parent in this room uh, understands this. They understand what it means to have a desire for your children to behave or to act or to conduct themselves in a certain way. If you know this right, wave your hand at me. In other words, you look at your kid and you go, man, I, I want you to act this way. Now, there's several reasons, but one of the reasons is simply this, is because we want what's, uh, we want what's best for them. Is that true? Say, the second thing is this, is if we're really honest, the reason we want them to behave is because we realize that they're a reflection of us. Right? So listen, the same manner our Heavenly Father has a way that He desires for us, His children, to behave or to conduct ourselves. And the reasons are the same. The first thing is He wants what's best for us. And secondly, He realizes that we are a reflection of Him to every person that we interact with. Now, this way or this behavior that the Father desires for us to walk in is found in James 2.8. And, uh, you know, we read this last week, but I want to read it again, especially for those that, that couldn't make it last week or weren't here so they can kind of track with us. But it says this in James 2.8. Once again, we're talking about the behavior of royalty. It says this. It says, if you really, fulfill, if you really fulfill, well, that means to perform or to execute, if you really fulfill the royal law. Now, who's the royal law for? It's for those who are royalty, right? And that's us. So if you are really fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, you shall love. Somebody say, you shall love. Now, who are we supposed to love? Jesus answered this question in Matthew chapter 22 when he said this. Once again, a very familiar passage of Scripture. But he said this in verse 37 and 38. It says, Jesus said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great command. And he says in verse 39, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourselves. Everybody watch this. So through this verse, Jesus is telling us who we should love. And he's simply saying this, that we're supposed to love him, that we're supposed to love people, and we're supposed to love ourselves. 
And once again, you know, the, the heart behind this is that if we don't love ourselves, we don't have really the ability to love other people. And you can kind of run through your life and, and look at great examples of that, of people who really uh, didn't care for themselves. Obviously, they didn't really care for other people. But if we say in there that, that this, that if you're going to love yourself, then you'll have the ability to love other people. And the Bible clearly says this. Let me, let me kind of go in about five different directions here. The Bible says this, that if we don't love our neighbor whom we do see, right, then how can we love God whom we don't see? So we have to first love ourselves so we can love people, and ultimately it's proof that we love God. In fact, just let me kind of maybe throw a quick verse in there. The Bible says in in 1 John, it says, how do we know we've passed from death unto life? In other words, what's the proof that we've been born again? It's that we love the brethren. Is that true? So, once again, through this verse, Jesus is telling us that we need to love him, love people, love ourselves. And kind of the point is this, is that if we're going to fulfill or if we're going to walk in the behavior of royalty, if we're going to live at God's best, if we're going to be a pure reflection of him, then all three of those need to be a priority in our life. If you know that's right, say, oh, yeah. So listen, I personally believe that God not only wants us to once again love him, love people, love ourselves, but he also wants us, we talked about this last week, that he wants us to receive love from all three. Meaning that God wants us to position or posture ourselves to receive his unconditional love. How many of you guys know sometimes it's really hard to receive God's love? Let's be honest, it is, okay? Uh, especially, once again, if you're freshly saved, and a lot of times you just don't, you don't understand. And a lot of that is even uh, based off your childhood and so forth, that sometimes it's a really struggle to receive love. So, once again, he wants us to receive unconditional love from him. And then he also wants us to receive his unconditional love through his children that comes to us. He wants us to receive love from people. And then God wants us to really, he wants us to be... Um, I, you know, this will make more sense when we get here in the series, but, but really to be content and happy and love who we are in him. And it's not necessarily that we have an arrogant love for ourselves, but the bottom line is we love who God's made us through his son, Jesus. Amen? Amen. So, listen, the reason I believe this, so once again, of, of, of um, you know, loving God and loving people and loving ourselves, receiving love from all three, the reason I believe this so wholeheartedly is because that we were created, we were designed, we were wired, however you want to word it, uh, we, we were wired by God to enjoy the fullness of love, the fullness. I want to stress that the fullness of love. And, and the truth is that the fullness of love uh, only comes through expressing love and through receiving love. Only comes through expressing and through receiving. Let me give you a, a quick example. Uh, many of, in this, of us in this room are married today. So can you imagine in your marriage if you spent, say, 10 years of all you did was express, 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 give, 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 give. All, that's all you did was you express love. You gave love over a 10-year period, and you never received not even one comment, one expression back toward you. How many of you guys know that after 10 years of you giving and receiving nothing, you would be very unfulfilled in your marriage? Yes? So at the same token... Um, if we just sat back fat, dumb, and happy and received love for 10 years and we never expressed it to anyone, we would be equally unfulfilled. And the reason is, once again, is because God wired us to give love and also to receive love. So it's the same way, once again, I know we're using marriage as a, just a, a natural example there, but it's the same thing with God. God, once again, wants us to express our love to him. That's why we worship this morning. And he also wants us to position ourselves to receive love from him. And the same goes, once again, for people and even ourselves. Now, listen, last week, um, 
I told you guys basically about a time that God began to speak these things to my heart. So real fast for you guys that weren't here. Basically, I was sitting in the service 13 years ago and uh, basically just went to my seat after leading the congregation in prayer. And God just spoke those words to me, really simple. Uh, he just said, love God, love people, love yourself, receive love from all three. And then basically, like I told you last week, I took basically what he said and I began to try my best to work through each one of those sections Basically, piece by piece with an open heart. And, uh, and as I did that, um, because God's faithful, we all get that. But if you, if you obey and you, and you begin to uh, apply and begin to do what he's speaking to your heart, then guess what? He's faithful, and he's going to make sure that revelation comes. Is that true? Yes. So, so as I begin to pray into what he said, and as I begin to study God's word along those lines, then he began to open up my heart, and I really began to see, uh, and once again, it's going to take us weeks to kind of get through this, but, but I began to see him completely different than I ever saw him before, and I began to see people different than I ever saw people before. And then really, I mean, the, I, I think the part that blew me away the most is, is what happened in me, how I saw myself different. And uh, once again, because of all that change that was going on in me, Obviously, it didn't just change me. It changed all, every relationship that I had, if it was with people or if it was even with God. So, you know, this, this first thing almost sounds like a no-brainer. I'm kind of embarrassed to even say this, but, but one of the first things as I began to pray and read the Bible, one of the first things that really jumped out at me initially was this, was, was how big of a deal love was to God. I told you that's a no-brainer. <laughs> But how big of a deal that this one four-letter word, love, how big of a deal that was to him. Now, you know, so you kind of understand, up until this point in my Christian walk, maybe about six or seven years in, I mainly focused on the holiness of God. And uh, that's where I, I gave literally all, all my attention. If it, was, if it was scriptures that I memorized, if it was... Um, if it was books that I read, if it was preachers that I listened to, uh, you know, I listen to people that pretty much drop the hammer. You, you know, that, that's, who I, that's who I always listen to, guys that were revivalists, guys that were always trying to bring people to repentance, all these things. But that's kind of what I, I, I gave myself to. And, and because of basically that's the, let me just say it this way, uh, because that's the, that's the table that I kept eating from, then I, I didn't really understand that God was both, that he was holy and he was love. And so as I got a better grasp on theology and as I began to study once again, I ran across this idea that of seeing this, of, of God's moral nature, of seeing God's moral nature. Now, this is pretty simple. We, we may not know it in those words, but we've, we have obviously seen it and we know it. But it's basically this. It's kind of under, uh, you say, two banners, two pillars, however you want to word it. But one, you see that God is holy. And under God's, God being holy, that's where we find his righteousness, his purity. Uh, we find his justice. We see that he is judge and we see his truth. And then under this other banner where we see God is love, that's where we find his grace, his mercy, his loving kindness, his compassion, his forgiveness, and his faithfulness. So watch this, though. But as a, as a young believer, once again, like I said, being about six or seven years old in the Lord at that time, um, because all I focused on was God's holiness, I would have probably been one of the first people that would have stepped up to an unbeliever and said, look, dude, God is righteous, he is pure, he demands obedience. Uh, you know, as a holy judge, you must judge sin, and if you don't repent of your sin, you're going to go to hell. Now, are those things true? Absolutely, they're true, okay? Because the Bible says without holiness, no one will see the kingdom of God. 
It also says, as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. And then we know that Hebrews says that just as man is destined to die once and after that to face the judgment. And we also know that Jesus said what? Repent or perish. So all of that's true. But the problem was, as I person was out of balance, I became very, uh, and I hope I've explained this okay, but I came, became very sin conscious and not God conscious. And the reason was is because I was only looking at half the truth. It wasn't what we know as the full counsel of God. So watch this. If you haven't heard anything yet, hear this, please, okay? Here's what I learned. I learned that if holiness isn't filtered through love, then we become self-righteous and legalistic. Get that. That if holiness isn't filtered through love, then we become self-righteous and legalistic. And we'll end up living a life that's motivated by a critical spirit and not the Holy Spirit. You understand that? Once again, if holiness, of all those truths that we just talked about, once again, they are true. But if they're not filtered through the agape, the God kind of love, then we become self-righteous and legalistic. And I've got to be honest with you, that's partially why the world can't get with the church. Because that's what, that's what we portray. We're portraying a, a God that's mean, a God that's angry, a God that's all about rules, a God that's... And, and I don't mean we as everybody, obviously, but a large portion. And, and so people aren't interested in going and being a part of that, right? In fact, let, let's just even throw this out. What does the Bible say? It says it's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. Right? It's the goodness of God. So here's the thing. When we don't filter holiness through love... Uh, the bottom line is, guys, we become nothing more than a modern-day Pharisee. Yes? One who basically lives by the letter of the law, not the spirit of the law. We, we end up, what does the Bible say? Jesus said that the letter kills, but spirit gives what? Life. Now, watch this, because there's two sides of this coin. So, once again, we have a holiness must be filtered through love, and then on the same time, love must be filtered through holiness. Y'all, please listen to this. If love isn't filtered through holiness, then we end up living carnal, fleshly lifestyles where we can act and talk however we want to. Because ultimately, we believe that God will turn a blind eye to our sin. And it's kind of like this banner that's going through the church today. They say this, after all, we're saved by grace, not by works. Anybody heard that? Literally, it's, uh, you know... Obviously, I, I may sit in a different seat than you guys do, but I think over the years, especially maybe, say, the last five years, I have been blown away by how much of the church has just embraced loose living. They think they can live however they want, and they think at the end of the day, God's grace kind of covers it all, and they can do what they want to. The, the sad part about that is, is we find out in Hebrews chapter 10 where it says this, says if we deliberately or willfully Keep on sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth. It it literally says this. Get this. And he's writing this to Christians, not unbelievers, okay? He says this, that if we basically willfully or deliberately keep on sinning, he says that we literally trample under our feet the blood of Jesus and we insult, watch this, the spirit of grace. So the very banner that they're trying to say that gives them permission to live the way they're living, right there it says they're insulting the spirit of it. If you're with me today, so yeah. See, the truth is, is God wants us to live balanced lives. He wants us to live in such a way that holiness and love have an equal place in our heart because it's really the full picture of him. Once again, God is holy. God is love. We must have a revelation of both of those in our heart and in our life. Okay, now watch this. Um, One of the portion of the scripture is just going to just kind of bear with me. I'm going to kind of go through some things and I'm going to try. If we have time, I'll make this real personal. Okay, but. 
One of the portions of Scripture that brought God's perspective and God's balance to my life was 1 Corinthians uh, chapters 12 through 14. We're not going to go through all of it today, but chapters 12 through 14. And let me just kind of give you an overview real quick of chapter 12. But here's what the Apostle Paul talks about in chapter 12. He starts off talking about how he doesn't wish the body or the brethren, okay, us, Christians, to be ignorant concerning the gifts of the Spirit. And then he gives a list of the nine gifts of the Spirit, and then he goes into the unity in the body of Christ. And then he says this uh, toward the very end of the chapter. He says this. He says that God has appointed in the church, and that's in every church, okay, apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, gifts of healing, helps, administrations, and a variety of tongues. That's what it says, right? Talk to me. That's what it says, right? Now watch this. And then he closes the chapter, and this is the verse that I want us to see here. He closes chapter 12 with this statement in 1 Corinthians 12, 31. I'm reading in the, out of the NIV version. He says this. He says, Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. Now, what's the greater gifts he's talking about? All the things he just mentioned there beforehand there in chapter 12, okay? But watch this. Here's his transition statement. He says, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. The word excellent there is also translated as superior way. I will yet, yet I will show you a more superior, more excellent way. Watch this. Then Paul transitions into chapter 3. Most of us here that have been in church for a long time, we realize that chapter 13 is known as the love chapter, correct? So he transitions into the love chapter, and this is where Paul begins to explain why love is the most excellent way. Please don't miss this, guys. Here's what, here's what this means. He's, Paul goes and starts talking about how the love walk is more important than any of the gifts that he just mentioned in, in chapter 12. And then he also talks about how basically love is more important than any of the ministries or any of the callings that he just mentioned once again in chapter 12. Now, here's why we know this. Watch this. Because in the first three verses of chapter 13, he simply shows us what our spiritual lives will amount to if agape, once again, God's kind of love, or we can say it this way, if the behavior of royalty, if all of that, if the love of God is absent, he shows us pretty much, let me say it again, that he shows us what our spiritual lives amount to if agape is absent from our lives, even though we operate in those greater gifts. Are you with me? So, yeah. So, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3, it says this. If I speak in, in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Meaning, I'm just making a bunch of noise to God. And he says in verse 2, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mystery and all knowledge. I, I don't want you to miss something here. Notice the word all there twice. The gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. Paul is saying this, that you could be the greatest, most prophetic, gifted person that's ever stepped foot on the planet. That's what he's talking about. All mysteries, all knowledge. All is a big word. Yes? Yes. In other words, he's saying, man, there's nothing that gets by you. And then he says this, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, that's some serious faith. He says, but do not have love. Notice these next three words. I am nothing. Wow. I am nothing. And then he goes on and says this. If I give all I possess to the poor, it's that justice piece. If I go and I try to meet the needs of every person that's down and out. If I go and I, and I do what? If I, if I give all I possess to the poor 
And then watch this. If I give over my body to hardship, that actually means if I give my life over to be martyred for the gospel's sake, it says that I may boast but do not have love. I gain or I benefit nothing. That's weighty, isn't it? Listen, here's the point. As I don't know about you, but I think it's pretty humbling that we could potentially live our entire lives operating out of the greater gifts, and then we could stand before God one day with a realization that it was all for nothing because he wasn't in it. Scary. Okay? Now, listen, the reason we know God isn't in it is because the Bible tells us in 1 John 4, 8, once again, talking about these people, they speak in tongues, they prophesy, they have this great faith, they, they obviously have this justice peace where they, where they give all they have to the poor, and then comes that last part, even to be a martyred. And it says that, that pretty much that love wasn't in any of that. So the reason we know God wasn't in any of that is because God is love. So it meant that he was absent from the equation, which basically what Paul is saying is he's giving you a list of people who are ultimately were trying to build their own kingdom and not the kingdom of God. That they were more about using the gifts and, and uh, those greater gifts, however you want to word it, for their own benefit and their own reputation, not to, not to somehow uh, produce the fame of God in the earth. So watch this. Then the Apostle Paul, let's make this a little bit more personal here. Then the Apostle Paul begins to show us, once again, the most excellent way or the behavior of royalty uh, that the Father desires from his children. So let's look at this. So, all right, so let me just maybe stop, okay? So once again, we talk about loving God, loving people, loving ourselves, receiving love from all three. What does that love look like to God? He's going to tell us here in chapter uh, 13, verse 4 through 8. Here's what he is asking or requiring of us. He says this, that love is patient. We could go home right there. Okay. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not. Please get verse five. Verse five is so powerful. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps. Watch this. It keeps no record of wrongs. Think about how many people, you know, we'll, we'll jump ahead here, that we, their name, some, we'll say it like this. Someone comes up to us, we start chit-chatting, they bring up someone's name that offended us 14 years ago, and we somehow in our memory bank turn to the filing cabinet, and we begin to look for the list of everything that we've recorded that they've done wrong. We've all done it. Yes? So it says, love keeps no record of wrongs. Verse 6, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. And it says, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And I love verse 8, love never fails. All right, so watch this, okay? Let me, I actually want to read this in another translation again. I'm going to read this a few times today, so hang in there, okay? Like a hair in a biscuit. All right, here we go. So... Um, I want to read this to you out of the, uh, out of the NIV, I'm not, not the NIV, the Message Bible. I like the way it words some of it, so I kind of want to use it, okay? It kind of puts it in our language. But it says this in the Message Bible. It says, love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut, doesn't have a swelled head doesn't force itself on others, isn't always me first, doesn't fly off the handle, help me Jesus, doesn't keep score of the sins of others, doesn't revel, 
when others grovel, takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything, trusts God always, always looks for the best. Get that, always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going to the end. And I'll say it the way I really want to say it, love never fails. Let that sit home, right? All right, so I guess when I was going through this process, one of the questions, okay, so once again I'm seeing how big of a deal love is to God. And one of the questions um, that I guess kind of came to my mind through that process was basically this, is God, how can you expect me to live this way? How can you expect me to live this way? And the truth is, is I'll just say this, the love walk If you want to walk in the Spirit, walk in love. Because it's very unnatural. Is that true? It's not natural. It's not easy, okay? But so how can God expect us to behave this way? Okay, here's the simple answer. Because the Bible says, once again, I said this last week, but when we're born again, that we receive a new nature. And and hopefully we'll talk about that within this year. But we receive a new nature. That new nature is the nature of Christ, okay? So, once again, if God is love, we all know that we believe in a trinity, right? Okay. In fact, the Bible says in 1 John 5, 7, 5, 8, it says that there's three that bear witness in heaven. The Father, the Word, which is Jesus, and the Spirit, and these three are one. Okay. So, bottom line is, is that means Christ is love as well. And guess what? So, when we got born again, He came inside of us with His nature, and His nature is love. So, once again, you know, I, I've even quoted the scripture that says there in Romans that the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. How in the world has the love, the agape, the unconditional love, how has it been shed abroad in our hearts? It's been shed abroad because God now lives in our heart. Amen? So, the reason he can expect us to behave this way is because it's who he is. Now, let me, let me kind of hit a blinker and turn really fast here. Part of what kind of, I guess, came, came to my uh, attention through this process was that, you know, there was times I wondered, okay, God, what does it mean that God is love? What, what does that mean? And uh, what I realized was that this chapter, in this chapter, verses 4 through 8, he was really defining that side of his nature. So watch this. So we could read, once again, this chapter that's simply, simply like this, that God is patient. Watch this. That God is kind, that he does not envy, that God doesn't boast, that he's not proud, that, watch this, that he does not dishonor others. I think that's awesome. That he is not self-seeking, that he is not easily angered. Somebody might want to go tell that to some churches. That God's not easily angered. That he keeps no record of wrongs. Don't we receive his grace and mercy every day? Yes. That God does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Watch this. That he always protects, that he always trusts, that he always hopes, that he always perseveres. In verse 8, God never fails. Can't get more simple than that, can it? That's simple, but it's truth. Now, watch this. That would, what we just read, that's who lives inside of you. Watch this. Same time, that's whose image you were created in. You, you know, I remember, and I'm going to get ahead of myself here a little bit, but, but I, re, I remember, and I, I remember the exact moment where I was standing where it was like, I saw, the, I saw the truth. But for so long, once again, a lot of it has to do with the household I grew up in and all that, and we've talked about all that stuff. I don't want to, you know, wear that point out. But I remember, 
you know, just being young and being a Christian and going through this process and, and literally studying and reading all of this. And I remember going, God, I don't feel like I have the ability to do that. God, I just don't feel, I don't feel like that's in me. God, how in the world can I do that? And, you know, and I was wearing out that chapter, right? And I think that that's part of when it, when it came to me, the bottom line, when, when I realized that I was created in the image of God. And because I was created in His image, I had the capability or the ability to live like that. So in other words, let me say this, from the, from the beginning, I was wired to live like that. Am I making sense? So simple. But, but for some reason, um, maybe you have, I don't know, but I believe the lie, I believe the lie of the enemy that I couldn't because I didn't grow up around it. And, uh, and when I received that revelation, it was like that lie was just, it's like it was broken and it gave me hope. I mean, maybe that's the best way. I mean, once again, I remember standing in the hallway right beside the bathroom, right? And hope came and I went, okay, I can do this because Jesus said I can do it. And so watch this. So he, he transitions here out of 13. We know the last verse here in 13 that says, Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love, right? And then he, he kind of puts a cap on it on the other side. He goes right back into the gifts of the Spirit. But notice what he says in 1 Corinthians 14.1, and I'm reading out the Amplified because it says it great. It says this. It says, Pursue this love. Everything that we just talked about, he said, pursue it with eagerness. And I love this last part. Make it your goal. So literally, watch this. In our Christian life, he is saying that's the target we need to be shooting for. Once again, I'm going to say it. To love God, to love people, and love ourselves. That needs to be our target that we're shooting at. If you're with me, say, oh, yeah. So then he goes on and says, yet earnestly desire and cultivate the spiritual gifts to be used by believers for the benefit of the church. He goes right back into what he was talking about in chapter 12. But once again, basically, here he is. He's talking to the Corinthian church. And remember, uh, you know, as far as the Corinthian church, Paul even said that they are lacking behind no one in the gifts. But he said, here's the thing that you're missing is the love of God. So let me kind of make this personal really fast, okay? Um, as I was going through this process, I was really going, okay, God, what do I need to do? And if I was to be real honest with you, I think part through this process, I realized uh, how angry I was. In fact, let me, let me even, so I don't leave you in the dark. So this is probably maybe September of 2003 that I'm talking about here when all this began with me, okay? So that summer, maybe around May or June, beginning of June, and I, I, I don't really share this with a lot of people. I did share it with someone last week after church, but... I was sitting in a church service, same church that God spoke this to me, and we had a guy in our church that, uh, you know, just super prophetic guy, okay? Uh, he's a, he's a um, psychiatrist by trade. He's a doctor, uh, but just man walks with Jesus like nobody's business. Anyway, so the way the church was, it had a section here, and then you kind of have a, like our wings, you had to step up, and then there were some other chairs. So I was sitting over here. At the chairs that are pointing this way, I was sitting in the, in the pew, and uh, Dr. Lynn walks up to me, and he goes, he goes, uh, Quentin, I want you to come here. And I said, do you, do you want Jen to come too? He said, nope, just you. <laughs> okay. So he, he gets me away from him. He takes me to the front of the platform and uh, just kind of away from everybody. And, uh, and he just says, listen, God's given me a word of correction for you. Not fun, okay? 
a word of correction. Gee, I'm so excited. He's like, you know. Um, so anyway, so he begins to basically say, look, th- these are the things that are in your life. You have unforgiveness. You have anger issues. You basically, you, you know, talked about the lack of love. Boom, 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 and went down the list, okay? And, uh, you know, that's where you feel like, mm, you like you can stand up underneath the carpet. And the thing is, is, you know, that was one of those things that I hoped that I was faking it well enough that nobody would see. <laughs> but God was like, hey, boy, come here. I see it. And so, anyway, so he calls me out, and then there were some other things that were really personal in there uh, of things that I needed to work on that were accurate, that were true. Uh, look, I couldn't deny that the word was so from God. And he said this at the end, and, uh, and it gave me great motivation to get my butt in gear. But he said this. said, the Lord says he's given you a time period. Uh, basically, he's going to give you three years to get this right. And if you don't get it right in three years, you won't be in ministry anymore. Okay. So I went back to my seat, and I sat down. And I'm telling you, I feel like I got hit in the face with a two-by-four. But I said this. I said, God, I know that's you. I know it's you, so what do you want me to do? Once again, you, you know, everybody doesn't really know me here, but one of the ways that God really confirms a lot of things with me is he'll speak something to my heart, and I'll go, okay, Lord, I've never heard that before, and I'll just, you know, I'm a, I'm a guy, I've got a lot of books, and I'll go grab a book, and I'll open it up, and I'll start reading it, and it'll confirm it. So God use, uses a lot of that for me, okay? I'm, I'm, a, I'm very much a book guy. So anyways, when, when I said, Lord, what do you want me to do? He uh, dropped five books in my heart, and I owned every one of them, but I hadn't read any of them. So for the next whatever, and watch this. Here, I'll give you more of the story because we've got a little bit of time. I basically was, at that time, I was running the school of ministry, and I was youth pastoring. Literally in, I think, two, three months later, I was in housekeeping. God pulled me completely out of ministry, sent me back to a church that I was pastor at before, and I sat in housekeeping for, I don't know, like a year or something like that. And I'm, you know, rubbing baseboards, trying to clean them, vacuuming. People are going, hey, Pastor. And I'm just like so embarrassed, right? And there's a process that God took and just humbled me. It was a, it was a really good, tough, hard year. But it was good. Anyway, so part of this, that year, the reason it was so good and God's grace was in it is because it gave me time to quit studying for sermons and just go with an open heart and work through all this process. And uh, because a lot of times when you're in ministry, you don't you, you have to juggle so many things. And God was saying, OK, I'm going to give you a time period where your wife and me, we're, we're basically getting your, your attention. And so I would sit at the kitchen table and I was just studying, reading all this stuff. And through the process, uh, I realized this. I realized really how angry I was. And one day I remember I was vacuuming one of those children's classrooms. And the Lord said, you know, Quentin, the problem is, isn't that you're angry, it's that you're easily angered. Okay. So it kept cleaning. What I recognized, though, from when he said that, I, I remember uh, just being so aware of feeling uh, aggression nonstop. And uh, I don't know, some of you guys can probably relate to that. It's like you get, imagine just getting in a fight with your wife or your husband, or somebody, and the way you feel afterwards. That's pretty much how I felt all the time. And, uh, and I, I literally felt like I could run through a wall at any moment. Let's just go, once again, easily angered. And I remember going, okay, God, what do I need to do? And I remember hearing a, well, let me just say this. I took this chapter, and, uh, and I began to pray it, right? We believe in praying the Word, yes? Okay. So I simply, by faith, 
said, Father, I thank you. I did this on a daily basis. Father, I thank you that I am patient. Father, I thank you that I'm kind. Now, I know who I was before I prayed. I know who I was after I came out of that prayer closet. I didn't feel too patient, right? But I kept saying, Father, I thank you that I'm patient. Father, I thank you by faith that I'm kind. And there were certain portions there of if there was somebody that I knew I wasn't kind to, I'd begin to pray through that process, right? And I would spend basically a lot of time, Father, I thank you that I keep no records of wrong. So, Father, that person, this person, Lord, I choose to forgive them today by faith. And, and, I, just, and I just kind of walked through that whole scripture uh, literally, I mean, week after week, Father, once again, thank you your love shed abroad my heart. God, I thank you I'm rooted and grounded in your love. I mean, I just prayed and prayed and prayed the word of God, right? And uh, I remember one day, uh, one night, actually, I was sitting there, and this was probably after about a month or two of praying this pretty consistent. I, I laid in bed one night, and uh, Jim was here, and I, you know, and I remember going, man, I don't feel, I don't feel that aggression. I don't feel that, that, that adrenaline just... And I heard instantly the Holy Spirit speak to me. He said, he said, Quentin, that's what I can do with a little. Imagine what I can do with a lot. And that's when I understood this. And hopefully I'm not going to confuse you here when I take this sharp right turn. Is that's when I realized that there's things that God. We know God can do anything, but there's things that he's given us authority over. And there's things that he's given us permission to do. In other words, he's given us a free will. Okay, and so there's things that I have to do uh, if I really want change in my life. In other words, we don't live on autopilot and God just kind of fixes everything. Right. It's my part, his part. So it's kind of like this. I'll give you an example. <clears throat> and I might have shared this before. I think I have. But, but once again, this is where the process where I'm going to realize this. So let, let's say here Roger goes outside. Roger's got a flat tire on his car. OK. And Roger says, you know, what, Kyle, I need you to help me fix the flat tire on my car. Kyle is a, obviously uh, loves people. He says, man, I want to help. I, I have a desire to be a servant. Uh, so, Roger, I want to help you. And so he goes out there to Roger's car, and he goes, Roger, where's the, uh, where's the tire iron? Well, I don't have one. Hey, man, you got a jack? I don't have that either. I got a spare tire, though. So watch this. So in that moment, Kyle can have the greatest heart. But once again, Kyle doesn't have the ability within himself to lift up a car Turn the lug nuts with his hand, okay, that's been with a power wrench or an air wrench, whatever, put on there. And then somehow, you know, hold the car, swap the tire. Y'all get the picture. He doesn't have the ability. So, in other words, there's certain things that he needs tools for to be able to accomplish. And what I realized was this, is that through the word of God, when I began to confess the word, God, I thank you that I'm patient. God, thank you I'm kind. I was giving God the tools that he needed. I was giving the Holy Spirit the tools he needed to be able to bring transformation in my life. Does that make sense to you? So without going in another 40 minutes of teaching there. And so, you know, once again, here's what I recognize to that is God has these great attentions for us. He, he wants to do all these things. But once again, there's certain things that we need to provide for him. We need to give to him for him to be able to do that. Yes. Amen. It's really this realization of this is that God wouldn't ask us to pursue something like he's saying here in Corinthians 14 if he won't give it to us. He's not a mean God, right? We sing it today. He's a good, good father. You know, God wouldn't ask us to live a certain way, once again, if he wouldn't enable us to do so. So the truth is today is this, is that God requires, God desires these things we read from each one of us. And my hope is today is I know we've heard that chapter so much in our life that we wouldn't just brush over and and, uh, not let it have its power in our heart. It's real easy to do that with Scripture, isn't it? 
We've been in church a long time. You go, oh, I've heard that. Oh, I've heard that. I've heard that. Well, there's a difference between hearing and doing. Yes? And so, and say, God wants us to do this. So, Lord, how do you want me to do it? So, here's a final challenge, and I'm going to pray, and we'll be done. Okay? But it says this in 1 John 4, 9. Last thought for you today. It says, in this, the love of God was manifested toward us. I mean, the love of God was revealed. It was shown to us. It says that God has sent his only begotten son into the world. Watch this last part that I want to focus on. That we might live through him. That we might live through him. Once again, where he said God is love. We understand Jesus is God, so Jesus is love. So we can actually read this verse that we might live through love. That we might live through love. So here's the thoughts I want to give you. Some questions before we roll out of here. Is what would our lives look like if we made the decision to live through love? If we decided to be patient, kind, to not envy, not to keep a record of wrongs, not be easily angered. All these things. What would our life look like? Think about even this. How different would our marriages be if we decided to live through love? How different would they be? I, I, I remember... My wife's uncle, who's a pastor, he said this one time when, when the first time I ever met him, and he was kind of doing like some relationship counseling with us, just kind of really it was his way of saying, okay, let me make sure you're legit to marry my niece. That's really what was going on. But, but he said this. He goes, look, uh, when you guys argue, because you will, he goes, I want you to stop. If you're married, listen to this, please. Great wisdom, simple. He says, I want you to stop in that moment and ask yourself, am I loving with 100% right now? So simple. But am I, am, I, am I giving it my best? Am I loving her the best I can right now? And most time, obviously, the answer is no when you're in an argument, right? It just helps you kind of change things. It goes back to that deal that, uh, that, that the Bible says a gentle answer turns away wrath. It's really the love of God that's in you that turns away wrath from that. Is that right? In other words, that's the heart. So watch this. So how different would our marriages be if we decided to live through love? How different would our relationship with our kids, with our parents, with our family, with our coworkers, with our classmates, keep going down the list, how, how different would it be if we chose to live through love? And then this last, last one here is how much more fruit would we produce for the kingdom if we would live through love? What a question, huh? Is that landing anywhere? Yes, no? But, but just think, think about it once again. The behavior of royalty is, is what? Because he wants what's best for us, but also because he wants us to be a reflection for him. So if we're, if we're that pure reflection of, once again, God is holy, but God is love, then how much more fruit are we going to produce for the king? Even in this, you know, I have to stop. Let me just say this. How different would my kids be? Right? If you invest, 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 invest the love of God. And I'm not saying that... That, but when we invest the love of God, that we somehow back away from the holiness of God because we don't. It's got to be equal. But think about the, the outcome. It's going to be good, right? Amen. Let's stand to our feet, please. Good deal. Just every eye closed, please. Just if, if you're in here today, we'll make this really, really short and sweet. If you realize that, God, I need my love walk to go to a different level. I need what we read there in Corinthians 13. Of all those things, the way you define love, of who you are, if I need more of that in my life, lift both hands, please. Just close your eyes. Yeah. Amen. Amen. So, Father, today with our hands lifted, mine included, God. Father, we just pray, God, today that you would help us to, 
to grab a hold of the behavior of royalty, that you would help us to walk the love walk. God, that you would help us to walk in the way that you created us to be, even in the way that bottom line is you who are love, perfect love, unconditional love, who lives inside of us. Father, we just pray today that you would help God, uh, help us to make the love of God be dominant in our life, dominant in the words that we speak, dominant in our actions and our behavior. Father, we just pray today, God, that literally that which is... uh, of not of love, Father, that it would decrease in our life, and that which is of you is of love would increase in Jesus' name. Father, I just pray, God, for every person that's here today, God, that you would help us to literally filter holiness through love, that you would help us filter the love of God through holiness. Father, help us to be a balanced people. God, so we can bring you glory and honor. And so, Father, today, whatever needs to be shifted, whatever needs to be rearranged in our hearts, Father, we just pray, God, that you would come and you would enable us to do it. Father, we thank you that your word says, God, when we are weak, you are strong. And so come and be strong inside of us. And so, Father, help us to literally have faith, God, if we even need to do the simple things, if we need to begin to confess your word over our lives, and God, begin to thank you that we are patient, that we are kind, that we're not proudful or or full of pride or however you want to word it, God, and just go down the list. God, if we need to begin to confess those things, God, so you can change us, God, if we need to give you the tools that the Holy Spirit needs to produce that change in us, God, let us do it. Let us have courage to do it. Let us have the discipline to do it. God, so we can glorify you in everything we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, amen, amen.